This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're joining us from today. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Leon Logan-Nathan. Hello there, my friend. Hello, mate. Not as always, as we discussed a few podcasts ago, (laughs) but most of the time. (laughs) <laughs> I've decided to abandon it. It's always to me. And I quite like the uh, morning, afternoon and evening. It reminds me of the Truman Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't the intention, but I was actually thinking this afternoon, okay, I do like hello there. I do like hello and welcome, but I need I need something different. So I'm going to throw that one in there every now and then as well. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, mate, I'm uh, ready and raring to go with our guest, unless uh, you uh, have some other issues that you want to raise. I think we've talked enough about the coronavirus. Take take it away, my friend. Fair enough. Okay, no worries. Well, our special guest on the podcast uh, today is a lady by the name of Chloe Ehrlich. Now, Chloe was introduced to us via Instagram, um, from one of her fans. And Chloe, who was that? <laughs> wow, do I actually have a fan? <laughs> there might only be one of them out there. Um, I think that might have been Melissa from um, Creative Pictures. That's and, the one. Uh, she thought I was a bit of a quirky individual. Um, and decided that um, it might be it might be good if I had a little chat to you. Yeah, she I'm- was she was absolutely glowing uh, of you, Chloe, and she said you've got to get Chloe on the podcast. She'll be amazing. So I don't know what <laughs> <No>. she did. <laughs> oh no, she's place. talked me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I um. Yeah, where where do I start? Um, well, you're in Alice do, Springs for a start. Do, That's a bit different. <laughs> the, yes, it is pretty cold. I'm actually snuggled up in my laundry with with the heater on and a cup of green tea and a blankie. Okay, so uh, born and bred Alice girl, are you? Yeah, I was born in Alice Springs. I've been here 40 years. Um, I'm from a very big family. I'm from the Kilgara family. So, mum, my grandma and grandpa had 11 children. Were they Catholic? Wow. Yes. There you go. Mm. Um, Very, very strong Catholic family. Um, And from that, I've got five brothers and sisters, and I think we're on to the 65th descendant from Grandma and Grandpa. So they populated half of Alice Springs then? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We have worked out that TV was... uh, uh, at a premium back in those days, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did they have TV back then? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I um, went to a family gathering a while back and I um, I looked over and there was these really good-looking blokes and I thought, I wonder if I'm related to them. So I went up to them and said, hello. And they said, hello, Chloe. And I said, I'm just checking to make sure that you're my cousin in case I see you out at a pub and I try and hit on you. And <laughs> and they said? <laughs> they said, no, we're definitely related. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> That's in trouble. If you go to a pub, you're not sure. Normally, I'm related to half of them anyway. So, so Bernie Kilgariff Bernie Kilgariff was your mm-hmm. was your, your granddad or uncle? Yeah. So uh, no. So Bernie Kilgariff is my grandpa. Right. Um, right. Who is married to Aileen Kilgariff? Bernie passed away about ten years ago, right. and um, Grandma's still kicking. She's out of old timers, and she turns. If I get this wrong. I will be um, kicked off the family spam. We've got a family spam called WhatsApp. Um, I think she's 95 and she's just she's just so still beautiful and speaks from her heart and um, she's just such a – she's my inspiration and she's also one of my best friends. Wow. Mm. So, uh, so Bernie, what, what was Bernie famous for? I know I'm going to sound like a fool asking that question, but I know he was famous. What was he? Was he an administrator or something? Uh, he was the first speaker of the uh, Assembly in 1974. Uh, he was a right. federal senator. Um, he was a, He did so much. He was a, um, a pilot. Uh, he was a, a bushman. He was he, him and Grandma... Uh, ran El Dunda Station for a long time. Um, they built the oasis. Um, they were chicken farmers, and the the list goes on. Um, I didn't get all those skills. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not a chicken farmer. I like to eat chickens, not kill them. <laughs> uh, what brought them to um, Alice Springs? Okay. Um, my grandpa came here. I think when he was eight years old. So, and he passed away when he was. Um, maybe 84, 80. So uh, he came when he came because my his uncle Joe Kilgariff, um came here first, and then he followed with his mum and dad, if I'm getting this correct. Um, and when Joe turned up, I think there were only 20 people in Alice Springs. So that was, if I got the dates right, what date would that be? 40-something, 1940s. Um, I'm not that crash hot on the history. I know the roundabout, but I'm not very good with dates. Um, so, yeah, uh, next question. I was getting getting sidetracked. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, yeah, Grandpa came here when he was eight. Um, he met Grandma here when he was young they got married and had 10 children adopted one um and the rest is kind of Alice Springs history so we're on to our fifth descendant so that makes them great 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 grandparents right um so yeah there there is a, a lot of history in Alice Springs and um I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued about something. Yeah, I'm intrigued about something that you just said there. They had ten children and they adopted one. Why did they adopt one? Um, there there was a young fella called Andrew, and um, he came to the family uh, when he was quite young, and he never really left. So uh, <laughs> I think I think he came from um, from Adelaide, um, and he he just joined the family, and I think he just grabbed a number and a plate, stood in line, and he turned into number eleven. <laughs> I think that happens in big families, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> uh, I come from a big family, so um, 
I know the pecking order. <laughs> and so, and so, was it your your mum or your dad that was a a Kilgariff, or your your mother obviously? Ah, uh, so my my mum is yeah. Fran Kilgariff, um, and my dad was John Ehrlich. John, my dad was a paediatrician in Alice Springs for a long time. Um, he was head of paediatrics, so he actually. Um, borned me, if that's the right word. He was a paediatrician <laughs> at my birth, well, my, yeah. um, um, which was very interesting. And he was actually the um, there when I gave birth to my child as well, Bradley. Wow. So that was really interesting, um, a generation later in the same hospital. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we grew up as, as bush kids, so he was a paediatrician and on school holidays we used to get in our troopies with 20 other people and head west and go out bush for a, a month and without seeing anyone else. So we'd come back <laughs> um, pretty dirty but very happy. Um, we've been fed couscous and, um, and golden syrup dumplings for a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yum. You didn't, uh, you didn't uh, get into the bush tucker there, Chloe? Ah, uh, that was our bush tucker. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's very upmarket bush tucker. <laughs> so, were you an only child, or you had some some siblings? No, well? so I had. I'm. We've got five of us in the family. Right. Uh, I'm right in the middle. My um, my mum Fran had a baby when she was overseas, she was in the kibbutz and um, got pregnant with, um, with my sister Lynn and chose to go to Scotland because the laws were really relaxed and had Lynn and came back to Australia and didn't tell anyone. Um, so we didn't find out about it until um, 20 years later when she contacted our family and um, had a bit of a group meeting and mum sat me down and said, you've got an older sister and I was ecstatic. It was yeah. the best. I, I was the oldest girl, so I always wanted an older sister. And um, she came out to Australia and it was weird. She just, she just fitted in. The, when I first met her, um, I had to, we went out to, we were actually out at Eldunda Station and I had to work. So I came out and it was a big family party. There might have been about 30 of us in a room. And, and when we get together, we actually look alike. And we move and we talk a lot. So I opened the door and walked in and this girl came up to me and gave me a hug and uh, pushed her away because I thought she was just one of the other family members. And I said, where's Lynn? Where's Lynn? And everyone sort of stopped and looked at me and then looked at her. And that was our first meeting, my sister that I'd never met because she just fit in. She just looked like us. So So, what the heck? So your mum went to Israel Mm. Uh, lived on in a kibbutz. This was what in the seventies, yep. was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so who, who, the the father was was not your dad. Somebody else. Uh yeah. That that was um, somebody else. So right, right. Um, and, and then she got pregnant in the yep. kibbutz. Yeah. And then she, why did and she go to Scotland? Uh, in Scotland, the laws are really relaxed um, compared to the rest of um, mm. the world about. Um, about children finding their birth parents, oh, so wow. that was um, that was one of the reasons. And the interesting thing is that um, Mum was was able to help choose the family that Lynn went to, and wow. she chose a family that also had eleven brothers and sisters. So, right. um, 
Um, that that was their mum. So Lynn grew up in a in a large family as well. Gee, amazing. So yeah. so your mother adopted Lynn to a Scottish family. Mm. Whereabouts yeah. in Scotland do you know? And Falkirk, if I got that right. Mm. That was okay. that was my Scottish accent. <laughs> it was pretty good. It had a bit of Irish to it, though. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm part Irish, Estonian, and German, so <laughs> take your oh, pick. Wow. <laughs> right. So we, we had a we had someone from Scotland on the podcast recently. Where where is Falkirk in relation to Edinburgh and Glasgow? Um, I guess I'm not yeah. really sure. I know. It's about 45 minutes after um, quite a few straight scotches. Um, I'm not well, sure what direction. <laughs> I know that place. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> oh, wow. That was the last time we were there and that was for the Edinburgh Festival. So uh, I'm always fascinated with the Scottish accent because um, this is my very simplistic way of putting it, but I, I find those from Edinburgh easy enough to understand and those from Glasgow near impossible to understand. So could, could you have I a actually, conversation with her? No, when she calls me and when I talk to her, I actually can't understand her and <laughs> she has a trouble talking to me as well. I yeah. suppose because they talk so fast and, and I'm not yeah. used to the accent, I actually I can pick up bits and pieces. I'm getting better now but mm. when I first met her, we after, after a while I, I got used to her because we were quite excited to see, see each other but um, mm. we went over there and we were bridesmaid for her wedding and wow. uh, yeah it's just a it's a beautiful story because there's no there's no animosity there's nothing there's no um, it's just there's no heartache I mean there's heartache because I I didn't grow up with her but the best thing is mm. that we found her and and she's part of our life and mm. and it's it's beautiful it, it's it's really humbling to find that you've got an older sister when you when you grew up without one so What's you the age have a difference sorry um 6 years okay so mm. so you have two older brothers then because you said you were the middle uh, child no so we've got Lynn Paul me Marion and Monica. And the best thing about Lynn, Lynn's a um, chemical engineer, so she works, um, <laughs> she works for a, um, a whiskey company. In, mm. So she's, um, she's got the Kilgariff genes. <laughs> right. Because I just looked it up. Uh, it's actually, uh, uh, would you believe, Pete, it's halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Oh, there you go. Okay. So that, that so a regional accent. Hmm. In the lowlands. So, okay, Chloe, what was it like growing up in Alice Springs in the, well, I'm going to think, 80s? Mm, yep. Um, I, I loved growing up in Alice Springs. Um, there's, I mean, it, it's a small town and um, I suppose the benefits were when I was really young, we'd go out on the weekend at, seven on our bikes and come home when we were hungry or wanted water and go back out again. Um, the, <laughs> the benefits were <laughs> we, we lived on Goss Street, which is over in Eastside, and they had this park there. And um, one day I went into my mum's room and got all her gold jewellery and um, decided that I was going to play pirates and went down the park and buried it. And um, 
Uh -oh. <laughs> and <laughs> and got found out in the next day. Luckily, luckily that um, no one came along and found it. And I went back and um, dug it up and brought it back. Um, <laughs> but I suppose the benefits of being in a small town, you can do that. Um, and the the benefits would be. The connections that you have, um, the family, the um, the sense of community, um, yeah, I, I need another question. I'm, <laughs> I've, I've got make, so many different avenues I could go, right. <laughs> I'd like to make a statement about that. Yep. What, what I find interesting is... Um, we, we spoke with Neil Ross uh, a few weeks ago and we asked him, tell us about the Darwin-Alice Springs divide. You know, why does it exist? What is it? Can, can you explain it? And he did. And something you just said then really resonated with me because we, we've interviewed a few born and bred Territorians, some from Darwin and some from Alice Springs. And the one thing I love, and there's similarities, I suppose, in, in all Australian childhoods there, but the one thing I love is I've now heard that expression probably three or four times, maybe five, is we used to go out and play and we'd come home when it was dark. And <laughs> that's not something you can do anymore, but that's, so, that's such a Territorian thing. Yeah. Mm. And I think my mum probably did the same thing. Took, but, her, took her horse or... Grandpa yeah. probably took his camel because he was. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the camels in Alice Springs, the, the, they are obviously not native. Uh, they were brought in by what, the Afghan traders or something? Mm. <laughs> You're looking at me funny, <laughs> Chloe. You did learn that at know. school, obviously. <laughs> no. I've only I ever eaten eaten camel. Oh. Actually, I, <laughs> actually, I, I did ride in the um, Camel Cup one year, and um, that in Alice Springs, and that was quite an experience. I was working at the Advocate at the time, and they'd sent me out there to cover the event as a photographer, and I was up on the next race and I was on the fence and I was watching the camels and uh, two camels bucked and two people fell off and I looked at it and went, I'm not getting on those camels. So I turned around and ran through the crowd and they spotted me and yelled out, Chloe, you're next. So they put me, <laughs> it was actually terrifying. Um, just before they put me on the camel, I turned to the bloke and I said, so how does this thing stop? And he said, oh, it doesn't. We just put a fence across it and hopefully it stops. And if not, you go straight over the fence. <laughs> wow. but, but I held on, which was good. I think I came second last, but I've done it. I've, I've nice. rode a camel in the camel cup. Right. Survived, and that's a yearly mm. event in Alice Springs, is it? Mm. Yep. So it's like the Melbourne Cup of Alice Springs. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that might be a long bow. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so uh, you went to primary school there, and then high school in Alice Springs as well. Yeah, I went to primary school and then high school, and um, I chose to go to boarding school in grade eleven. Um, yeah. in Pembroke. Where's that? In, in Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Um, mainly because uh, I was heading down a, a path, um, self-destruction and um, being a, a 
young teenager that um, I suppose I was very creative and I was very headstrong and um, I felt that, well, I was given a choice. Mum came home one day and said, do you want to go to boarding school? And I thought about it for 24 hours and went, this is a golden opportunity. Um, so I left. It was really hard. It was really, really sad saying goodbye to my family. But it was actually the best thing that I've ever done because it taught me resilience and it taught me to stand on my own two feet, which mm. um, I think is is really important and a really important trait. Mm. So you did uh, year 11 and 12 there in? Uh, I did grade 11 and then came back for grade 12. Okay. And then what did you do after that? Uh, then I went to Adelaide and went to uni and studied um, Bachelor of Arts, Communication and Media and lived with my brothers and sisters in Adelaide for a couple of years and um, got up to mischief as you do. <laughs> uni. <laughs> uni. Um yeah, uni, I wasn't, I'd, and I remember one day I ended up on a float. Um, I'm not even sure what it was for. We were in a pub and they came around and said, if you jump on this float, we'll give you free beer. So we were protesting against <laughs> something. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Right. And finished your degree there and came back to uh, Alice Springs, Yeah, so I, I finished my degree there and came back and um, got a job at The Advocate as a yes. photographer. Um, the interesting thing was when I was at St. Phillips, I've always loved photography and um, I did my work experience at The Advocate when I was 15 years old. And um, when I finished uni and went back to The Advocate um, seven years later, it, it, was, it was really, it was, it was um, kind of like a full circle because when I was there seven years ago, it was something that I really wanted to do. So um, I started there as photographer and then moved up to senior photographer, um, went to Darwin and worked at NT News for a while. And What year was then, that? Do you, do you uh, in Alice Springs or in Darwin? In Darwin. Um, 2006. Okay. For how long? Um, maybe two years. And how did you find sort of living up in Darwin given that it's oh, still part of the territory but a completely different climate oh it, yeah it's um i didn't like it because my hair got frizzy <laughs> and i couldn't wear jeans I, the, the weather i love the dry season but i couldn't get used to the um wet season yeah. um mm. the the darwinese are a little bit troppo <laughs> I, only a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little Good bit. Time. True, I think. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but I, I loved working at NT News. I, I loved the stories. I loved the characters. I loved the quirkiness. Um, Who was the editor of the NT News at the time? Do you remember? Um, I think it was Wilto. Wilto. Who's that? Uh, Mark Milton. Okay. Uh, or mm. Greg Thompson. There was a few of them. Right, right. But you didn't mm. work closely with any, any, any of those guys. Yeah. Who, who did you work with? Any journos, do you remember? Uh, so we, we had <laughs> – it was actually a really good team. There were seven photographers all up. Um, we were under Clive Hyde and um, we'd come to work some days in the wet and be saturated 
We'd no. all sit in this little office overlooking um, whatever that bay was called. Um, and it was just, it was, a, it was a really good breeding ground for um, learning your trade because you were thrown out there. You were given mm. a job and, and a camera and said, go. One day you'd be photographing a, um, a page three stunner um, and <laughs> the next day you'd be, um, you'd be tucking in this um, a naked bloke's tackle who just streaked across the oval <laughs> for a front pager. <laughs> no, literally tucking in his tackle. <laughs> Sounds very dull. <laughs> is, is that the normal path to end up a photographer doing uh, communications? like a journalism degree as as it was known. Were you doing any majoring in photography to end up being uh, a I majored in media production and then okay. my minor was photography. Okay. So I um I always chose stills over over media production and right now I'm trying to get back into videography, but it's something that I've I've loved. I've just gone on the path of photography. Mm. Do you, do, you, do you remember any sort of memorable front page uh, photos that you took for the NT News? Yep, my most favourite one was the naked tradie. Do you remember that bloke that um, streaked? Uh, it was yeah, it, would, it was years ago. Uh, there's probably so many streakers at Marara. Um, ran in the <laughs> middle. Well, he didn't have any clothes on. Ran in the middle and got tackled and um, literally tackled. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And um, we, were, we were having a chat about it in the newsroom on the Monday. I was trying to work out how I was going to find him and, and the territory is so small. Um, I was doing a job at um, the big ice cream house. What's it called? Parliament? <laughs> <laughs> the birthday cake. And the birthday cake. That's what they call it. Um, and anyway, I, um, I pulled up and I was in the NT news car. And I was getting back in the car and this bloke pulled up beside me in a tradie ute and he said, G'day. And I looked at him and I went, hey, mate. And he goes, I heard you've been looking for me. And I said, who are you? And he goes, I'm the streaker. And I went, oh, God. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it's how the territory works, isn't it? It's through the grapevine and, and who you know. Um, so anyway, I got chatting to him and, and I said, um, yeah, we've been looking for you. Um, I said, how do you feel about getting your gear off and, and doing a front pager? <laughs> and, um, he, he was straight, sure. Um, I said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm a carpenter. And I said, oh, I really like tradies. I said, do you reckon we could get you in your belt and boots <laughs> naked? <laughs> Not a problem. And, he said, yeah, sure, love. And um, so I thought, oh, where am I going to do this? I can't do it in the middle of town. This is going to be a naked bloke. So we went down to the beach um, and and waited. There was a few people walking their dogs. So when they got a little bit further down the beach, um, he got his gear off. So I put him on a rock and um, he put his tool belt on and turned around and there was a few shots where I could actually see a little bit of his um uh, front and side tackle so <laughs> I had to just rearrange his legs uh, a little bit <laughs> so, <laughs> always the professional <laughs> it, it was. but I, I didn't I didn't use my hands I just used my voice I, I was very professional in that sense <laughs> so you showed restraint <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> even though he was wearing a tool belt <laughs> 
there's gold. Right. Um, so, and yeah, so, that was probably... And so that was uh, two years in Darwin, and then you came back to Alice Springs. Uh, your son, when was he born? Like I'm just trying to sort of piece together. He the was actually here. born, uh, it's his 11th birthday tomorrow, so um, 11 years ago I was in labour, and it was a horrible labour. It was 40-hour labour, um, which oh, I won't go into details because I'll probably scare you. <laughs> Um, so he was born and then two years later I had a daughter, Eva Marie, yeah. um, which was a planned cesarean because I said I was never going to go through that again, ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wonder how the world keeps going sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so where did you, like, uh, where did you meet uh, uh, the family, I mean the, the, um, the father, like? Um, so I met him in Alice Springs before I went to NT News and we moved up together and, um, came back to Alice. So, uh, we're not together anymore and, right. um, I'm living a, a single life. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm 21 again. <laughs> right, right. And so, um, you, what, you worked straight, you went straight back to the Centralian and, um, no, I didn't. I came back and started my own business. And okay. um, so I've been working as a, a photographer ever since. Um, I, I did actually work a few stints at The Advocate, but what did I do? I covered Oprah Winfrey at The Rock, um, wow. which was mm. really interesting. How did that um, come about? Uh, that was through News Limited. She was doing a tour and um, she's got a really big face. You know, if you see her on TV. That's, that, is, that is apparently a, um, a thing about people in Hollywood. They've usually got big heads. I, I, I heard some people discussing this recently. It's a, it's a character trait of Hollywood stars. Yeah, hers was re- really, really big and I couldn't stop staring at her face and just her, because it felt like her features were so exaggerated. Mm. And I watched her on TV at a couple of weeks later and thought, wow, you don't look anything like you do in real life. You're just bigger. And I think maybe it's because she's such a big personality as well. Mm. Mm. But she's, so that was interesting. she's not a tall person though, is she, Oprah? No, she's not very tall and she's got a very big head. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, any other famous celebrities that you've uh, filmed or photographed? Uh um, Elton John, Ralph, Ralph Harris. Um, yeah, there's, who's come through Alice Springs? There's, there's been so many over the years. Um, I think probably my favorite was Oprah. Okay. Definitely. Mm. Mm. And, um, what, uh, what, uh, uh um, trials and tribulations have you been through you, you mentioned when we first uh, connected that um one of the issues that uh, you had to face um and i don't know when it started but uh, you know you, you've been battling with depression uh and i believe you overcame it but do you want to talk us through that uh yeah so i suppose um I did. I've I've battled with depression and anxiety for for many years, and um, 
I suppose it really hit home after the birth of Bradley. I um, I had postnatal depression, and that kind of moved into depression and anxiety. And I lived in a a fairly dark place for quite a long time. I I wasn't living from my true self. I um, everything hurt. Um, I struggled to talk to people. I struggled to to feel alive. I struggled to to love myself. Um, and two years ago, I had a um, suicide attempt. And from that, I I realised that I'd either I could either go six foot under or six foot over. And I decided that. <laughs> I need to start living my life and I did and I decided that um, I needed to start making better decisions and I needed to love myself because I had had a lot of issues of of not feeling my, the, my self-worth. Um, so coming back from it was it was a really hard time, but I suppose you could say I I came awake, um, and it's really interesting because people see me now compared to what I was a couple of years ago, and they don't actually recognise me because I feel I was even I feel like I was a shell. I feel like I was just a walking a walking shell. I I didn't have that soul and heart connection that I have with myself now. And every day I I get up and I try and be a better version of myself. And in doing that, I, um, I've i got a really crazy routine. If I tell you, you're going to think, <laughs> you think I'm really wacko. But it's, um, so I try and um, I get up at 3.30 every day. Um, 4.30 if I have a sleep in, 5 o'clock if I have a really big sleep in. Um, I go to the gym for two hours. I meditate. I spend a lot of time by myself. Um, and if I have, I, I unpack my heart and my emotions. So if I feel any resistance, I sit with it and I try and work out where it's coming from so I can deal with it. Um, when, when you live in a state of anxiety, you fear a lot of things. So you fear, you fear what's going to happen in the future. You fear what's going on around you. You fear what, fear what other people think. You fear that you're not making right decisions. So, um, when I, when I came awake, I had to really, really go inside myself and, and deal with fear. Um, and there is a community in Alice Springs that do ice baths and I connected with them a year ago and I'd always heard about ice baths and always wondered what they're about. So I went to one and um, it. Well, I cried and swore the whole way through my first ice bath um, but it was one of the most rewarding things that um, – that I've done in a, in a long time. I worked out that through getting in the ice, um, it's kind of like anxiety. So 
Um, I have a freezer as well at home that I fill up with water and it sits at just above zero degrees, but I'll t- talk to you a bit about that later. Um, so before you do the, before you get in the ice, you do some Wim Hof breathing as well, which, which, um, um, goes with it. But, um, sometimes, um, well, actually all the time I stand at the side of my freezer and I look down and it takes me a while to get in and I fight with my brain, um, get in there, no, get in there, no. Um, and then when I finally get in there, it puts you straight into the flight fight response, which is um, where you're living when you live with anxiety. Um, previously, when I was living with anxiety, I would fight it and I would do everything else. I would do the dishes, I would think about that, I would do that, so I would do anything else and to keep my brain occupied um, than actually deal with what was going on. Whereas when you get in the ice, you don't, you can't do that. You go straight into flight, fight, but you have to sit with it, and you have to sit with it and sit with it, even though it's even though it's really, really uncomfortable. And you have to sit with your fear. And I worked out by sitting with it and not being able to run away and not being able to do anything else, but just sit with it and just sit with that feeling, that feeling of flight, fight, that it actually evaporates um, and then when it goes, it it kind of turns into your friend so you're not afraid of it anymore. Um, so what, what that has taught me is to go to your fear. Um, if I fear something, I go to it. If I feel resistance, I go to it. So instead of pushing it away, I go to it and I try and work out why and through working out why, I can get to the core or the source of what I'm feeling. Are these self-taught coping mechanisms, Chloe, or has somebody helped you to understand how this all works? No, I've done a lot of research and I've, I've spent a lot of time by myself and I've tried a lot of different things over the years and this is, this is the, the thing that's worked for me mm. is, is actually going to it and, and dealing, dealing with your fear, and you know the uh, the monkey mind that you get. You've got these. You've, you you just can't get right into your core. So the ice for me is it stops your monkey mind. Mm. So you've got you've got all these monkeys, and you've got all these things you want to do, and all these thoughts, and everything else is going on. But as soon as you get into the ice, nothing else matters. You just go mm. straight to your core. One focus. Yeah, one focus is, mm. and there's there's nothing else in my life that I've ever done. I've done some pretty crazy stuff um, that's taken me as deep as getting into the ice. And the thing is, you never know how you're going to react. Um, someone at the ice bath said, say goodbye to your old self, and when you come out five minutes later, you're going to be mm. completely different. Mm. I was going to ask you how long, five minutes. Uh, I spent about eight minutes in there. <laughs> God. Does it get to a point where it gets dangerous, like beyond a certain um, amount of time? No, um, maybe that could be probably um, argued, but there yeah. there is a whole theory behind it. There's um, a fellow called Wim Hof who's the Iceman, and um, he he's there's a he's um, got a whole theory behind it. So you do breathing beforehand and. Um, 
which takes you, which um, puts you in a different space. So you do three rounds of um, breathing in and it kind of takes you to disco land. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the breathing. You mentioned that before and, uh, look, I, I, I've watched a number of documentaries on the uh, the sport of free diving and, mm. uh, you know, if if you just ask the average person how long can you hold your breath for, there's, there's a range which you can hold your breath. I heard a Hollywood actress talking literally only a month or so ago and she was in a film where at some point she had to hold her breath under the water for five minutes and she did this stunt herself and the uh, the interviewer said, look, that, that's a long time, you know, did you, did you fear that you weren't going to be able to do it? And she said, look, I, I was trained to do it. I was trained to understand the reactions of my body. She said, you get to a certain point mm. and you feel like you're going to pass out and you don't and you, and you get through it. And she said, by the end, so I'll tell you right now, anybody can do it. It's just you need mm. to know the path forward. So the, the yeah. breathing, as I understand it, when it comes to anxiety and, and uh, you know, those sort of disorders, it is, it is uh, such an intrinsic part. Of, of getting it right. Mm. Yeah, and breathing um, and also changing your mindset and changing, your, changing the way that you deal with a thought. Uh, if now I have, I'm, I have a lot, a lot more mind discipline sometimes if I wake up and I might have a negative thought come into my head I um, won't get out of bed. I'll make myself sit there and I'll think about it and I'll think about the origin and I'll say, is that true? Uh, where's the evidence? Uh, why are you thinking that? Where does it stem from? So instead of ignoring it and getting out of bed and starting my day, I'll go to it and then I won't get out of bed until I've squashed it mm. and I can start my day. Um, but... <laughs> When I say I came awake, it was more, it was coming awake after years of depression is, is, a, is like sunshine. It's, it's like waking up every day and, and just seeing such a beautiful sunrise and everything's golden and everything's new. I, I live my life from such a sense of fierce love from my heart, um, my my connections are deeper. My 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 life is deeper. I'm I just feel I'm I'm more of a better person than what I was, and I think that a lot of things can come out of adversity and 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 blackness. My favourite quote is that flowers grow in the in the dirt and um they do you you sometimes have to roll around in the dirt and sometimes naked and cold and and be at your most lowest most blackest point in your life to realize that um that you have strength and and to find that strength as well um and it's it can be quite confronting um but the thing is i i found my strength and i'm 
I'm actually really honoured and I'm really lucky that I'm here today and every day I get up and I look at the sunrise and sometimes I cry because I'm I'm so lucky that I'm alive and and it didn't that that my suicide attempt was just an attempt. So mm. um when I I ran in the Uluru Marathon last year and I was standing there before the buzzer. There were 650 other people around me and all of a sudden it just dawned on me that, oh, my God, my heart's beating, the sun's shining, I'm alive, look at all these people. And I had my headphones on and I just started screaming, I'm alive, oh, my God, I'm alive. <laughs> um, and I had tears streaming down my face and I was just, screaming screaming I'm alive I'm alive I'm alive and the buzzer went and everyone started running okay Chloe collect yourself come on run um so I started running and I smashed the marathon (laughs) um because I just I have this I have a I have a beautiful sense of life now and I I don't take anything for granted um at all was it a full length marathon? No, I was only half, but I, but I did pretty well. Yeah, I'm doing a, I'm doing a full one in July. You, you were saying you were alive at the start. What were you saying at the end? Ah, <laughs> uh, feed me beer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, right. Chloe, um, you know, we've never had anyone on the podcast that that, that has talked about this. Um, Peter and I have, have discussed it in the past. Not, neither of us, um, uh, thankfully, have ever suffered from this condition. Um, however, I do know from having spoken to my GP, uh, uh, who tells me uh, that 60%, 60% of the people that he sees suffer from depression. That's that is just an incredible statistic. Mm. You know, I, I never knew it was that prevalent. And you mentioned that it started for you as, as postnatal depression. Do, do you know as a result of going through this and dealing with it, do, do you know how many women um, actually suffer from this, this uh, condition after going through childbirth? No, I don't know the percentages. Mum... The interesting thing I find with me is that I'm very open about speaking about this. I'm very open speaking about suicide and I I talk to quite a, a lot of people um, talking about the blackness, as I call it, or suicide, depression. And I've, at first a lot of people are quite cagey, but once you actually open up and, and talk to people about it, a very, very high majority of people have been through it and very high majority of people have have been to have have felt those thoughts and have felt depression. It's just we don't talk about it and if we don't talk about it then um then how do we deal with it? So it's like my dad said, you can't manage a hidden agenda. Mm, true. It's probably one of the um the really nice things that, that I think has happened, you know, in, in probably the the current generation, the one before, is that, you know, I think um, that, that 
my parents' generation, I think there was a huge amount of divorces and dissatisfied relationships that never got talked about, never got discussed, and men were men and they stuck to themselves and they kept their feelings to themselves. Um, I think possibly because of the prevalence in, in with you know, mental health issues in a lot of professional sport as well and the fact that a lot of high-profile people have come out and talked about it, mm. you, you hit the nail on the head, Chloe. If you talk about it, it's amazing how other people will open up and, you know, have that conversation with you either about themselves or somebody close to them. It is and it's about what I worked out because when when you when you feel that way and when you feel the blackness and you feel depression, you don't feel worthy of great relationships, you don't feel worthy of experiences, you, you don't actually feel worthy and you don't feel that sense of importance and you don't open up and you don't ask for help. And the thing that I worked out is I thought that I needed help but I was too ashamed to ask for help and that's that's the most important thing. If you think you need help, then you do need help. There's, there's no other question and all you've got to do is reach out. All you've got to do is start talking and when I started talking, there was, there was hands everywhere. There was people to pull me up. There was people, there were people everywhere. I just couldn't see it because I had my eyes shut. Mm. So the, the key to me is communication, is talking, is, is opening up. And, and having a discussion about it because it's not embarrassing and there's nothing to be ashamed of. We're humans and, and we have fierce emotions and it's just where you, where you put them that sometimes it can be damaging. So the, the most important thing to me is just keep talking, just talk and talk. And the flip side to that too, um, I, I think, and you know, I was interested in the fact that um, you you've gone down the photography path with with the type of uni degree that you did you know my my understanding is having worked in quite creative fields is that you know you don't want to make light of it but those that are often tormented are also wonderfully creative i am so crazy creative it is phenomenal it's um <laughs> it's very very true it's um but you you can't have the the blackness without the light can you mm, so no. at all you've you've got to see you've got to be in the dark to actually know when the light gets turned on mm. um but, yeah. can i also ask this because just completely out of curiosity chloe in fact all of this is out of curiosity um you I'm told by the medical profession that uh, the current treatment for, for most forms of depression uh, are three things, um, therapy, uh, medication, and exercise. W would you uh, agree with that based on your own experience? Uh, I would say number three, exercise is, is phenomenal. Exercise is one thing that... Um, helps me out on a daily basis. Um, when I when I came awake, I started exercising. Well, I got up and um, 
ran 17 k's and then I haven't actually stopped kind of the I'm kind of like the forest gump of our spring <laughs> I was gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> so I I am re I am absolutely crazy into exercise today I did uh three hours two hours at the gym and an hour footy training so um exercise is it it changes your it changes your chemicals it um it it gets you out and about. It it puts you out of your own head and into your own body. Um, and and when I realised when I came awake, I realised I wasn't operating from my body. Um, and I started to listen to my body. And when I go to the gym, I listen to my body and I work whatever needs to work at the time. <laughs> and there's one there's one story. I um, was standing in Woolies one day. I'm a big Woolies fan. I can spend hours in there because I talk to so many people. Um, so I was standing there and I had to get some lunch boxes for the kids and on the left-hand side there were some plastic bags, the throwaway ones, and on the right-hand side there were the um, recyclable ones. So I thought, right, I'm just going to do an experiment. So I stood in the middle of the aisle and I shut my eyes and I put my hand out on the left-hand side and I said, am I a true greenie? Do I want to recycle? And I put my hand to the left and where the plastic bags were, and my body felt resistance and I felt a bit tense and I felt a bit um, not angry and then I put my hand over to the other hand, the other side where the plastic recyclables were and I felt happy and, and a sense of um, um, my body relaxed and I thought, wow, I am a true greenie. i better get them. <laughs> I want to save the world. So I, I operate. And when I meet people as well, I, I meet people and I operate from my body and my heart. My, my body has a reaction to them the same way that my, that my head does. And um, my body can tell straight away if, if I'm in tune or if I'm not, I wouldn't even say attracted, but um, I think it's your, your heart math. Um, so I feel I feel things really, really strongly in my body, um, which is why I've also put a lot of time and effort into my body. Mm. Is that is that a new thing, or have you always had that, but just didn't? No, realize? I no. When I when I had depression, I I never used to operate from my body. Mm. I I I felt that it was one, but I felt that I was living in a shell. I wasn't. I didn't. I think a shell was the only way to describe it. I my I wasn't in tune my head and my heart wasn't in tune um and it's only when I came awake that um now I operate from my body and um and my body talks to me all the time tells me if if I start feeling if I get a bit of resistance um to something like a, a job or something I'll sit down and work out okay why do I feel resistance what emotion am I attaching to that resistance and then I work out from that emotion, okay, maybe I'm not wanting to do that because of, um, I don't know, a previous, I'm not sure, I don't really have an example, but I know that if there's resistance, I have to go to it and I have to have to deal with it. Mm. Chloe, again, a, a question completely out of curiosity. You, you had depression, postnatal depression, you had two children, um, your partner left you, or, or you separated at least. H how do you raise two children with depression? How does it, how does it work? <laughs> um, it's really, really hard because it's, 
it's really hard because you can't get out of bed. It's really hard because mm. you don't want to make lunches. It's really hard because you don't want to go to soccer training. You just want to hide in your bed. Um, but you have to force yourself to do it. It's really, really hard. Um, when I, <laughs> when um, the magnitude of, of my depression when I was admitted to hospital um, after the suicide attempt, um, I had a job booked in for when I, a photography job. I actually had to photograph a whole school um, that week and I <laughs> I didn't want to cancel because I knew that there were 260 students and they were all coming from around Central Australia. So I booked myself out of hospital, um, went and photographed a whole school and then went back to hospital. Um, wow. So and in that sense, that was just my driven um, sense of doing a good job. But, yeah, it was really hard because you're also – you're also vacant for your for your children when it's it's there it's really important and there's so many important things that have happened in your in their life that you should be there for I was always there for them but um in body mm. in, yeah in in body I just mm. I felt vacant and um now I'm occupied mm. <laughs> <laughs> That is, a, that is a most, yeah, it's, it's just intriguing and, and also very sad because there's just so many people out there that are going through exactly what you're going through. Uh, most of the time we don't even know. Mm. Um, no. You know. The amount of people that I have talked to about depression and, is, and that have actually, that have been touched by it is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's just, it doesn't get talked about and, I think the main thing is because of the stigma and the shame and that's that's what I felt. I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed because I felt like I was half a person and I should be able to deal with these things and I should be doing this. And and when when you're in that blackness, it, it's when you put a bad thought in, it, it goes round and round and if you stick another bad thought in and another bad thought, it just torrents into a hurricane. Mm. Um, so... Um, yeah, it, it needs to be discussed and it needs to be talked about because there's so many people that go through it and and we don't have to hide in our beds. We can we can come together and we can talk and just and even a simple connection is is really important. One of one of the most beautiful things that happened to me is I met this boy at the gym and he he was a friend of mine. Um, and he said to me, he looked me in the eyes one day just after I'd, I'd um, come out of depression, he said, I care about you and I care about your heart. And I looked at him and I thought, but you don't even know me. And um, there's small things like that that can actually make a person's day or, or change their change their outlook um, and you, you don't realise it. And from that... Um, you know, there's the little interactions that you have with people can can actually make or break their day, or make and make or break <laughs> not their life. But um, so, I, yeah, I think it's really, really important to just talk about it and not and just 
just don't feel shame. It's and I don't feel shame. I'm I'm actually um I don't feel shame. I feel like I am a better person because I went through that. Um and I feel in a really deep, honest sense that I actually um I I don't thank it but I I'm kind of I'm not even grateful. I'm not, I'm, the right word hasn't come mm. to me, but I feel that if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I'm strong and I'm happy and, and I'm living a beautiful life. And every day I get up and I go, okay, what can I do today that I didn't do yesterday that, that makes me a better version of myself? And mm. I wouldn't have that if I didn't go through depression and if I didn't go through adversity and and trauma i wouldn't i wouldn't have that so i'm actually grateful for it can we talk cured is cured a word you can use or is it is, yeah is it cured not? yeah cured actually yeah actually i sound like a salami don't you cure salami oh, you do. <laughs> slightly different process but yeah <laughs> i don't know i beg to differ <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe um yeah cured cured is um uh i'm i won't go into the too fine details but um to be cured would i suppose there comes a, a day in your life where you realize that you have to make a decision and the decisions that you made the day before were not very good ones and the decision that I made um, when I attempted suicide was a really, really bad decision and every day I still think about that and that's why I try and make good decisions because I feel that in my history I've made some really bad decisions but I'm not going to put myself down or berate myself for that because... We all make bad decisions. It just means mm. that I learnt from it and I learnt how to be a better person. Mm. Did you find that the medical profession was any help for you, Chloe? Or did you just have to work this all out on your own? Uh, no, I've, I um, spent a lot of time in the medical profession. I talked to lots of doctors. Um, I tried medication. I tried lots of different things. Um, talked to many, many different people. Um, but the thing is, I, I feel that I, in a really weird sense, I, not that I didn't want to be helped, but I didn't have that drive that I have right now. Um, you can talk to so many people, you can, it's, it's the old saying, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't get it to drink. You, you have to, um, you have to want to, and that's it. Um, but there's, there's so many different stories and there's so many different, different people and different experiences. So I don't, I don't know. I, I know that, um, you have a minute silence for, (laughs) for, um, people that, but I still, sometimes I just have 30 second silence just for, and I think about all the people that have actually, um, gone and have passed this earth because they have committed suicide. I went to the cemetery the other day and I walked along and I looked at some of the graves and I've had 
a lot of friends that have died by their own hand and I looked at it and I thought it could have been me and mm. and it's not. Um, so I'm I'm just trying to live the best that I can but I'm I'm also deeply respectful for those people that have lost people from suicide and I'm deeply respectful for those people that feel that there is no other way because there is another way, the other ways. Get help, talk about it because you're not alone. I'll give you my phone number if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that that's cured. Well, Chloe, you've been very... Um open and and generous with your uh with your story uh i just wanted to give you an opportunity uh is there anything else that you would like us to know about chloe ehrlich um do you know there is oh there is one story oh sorry um there's one story <laughs> that i'm famous for in my family I just, I'll just probably end with this story. So when I was 21, I went to a Kiss concert with my auntie, <laughs> Catherine, and, um, and my other Chloe, cousin, I'm going to have to stop you there for a second. Leon are, you, Leon, are you allowed to listen to this story? We did a Mother's Day podcast, Chloe, and... Uh, Leon's mother spilled some beans about it. <laughs> a, a previous experience with Kiss. But I'm, I'm all over I'm all over Kiss. I love them. So please continue. So am um, I, so, <laughs> <laughs> so this was held at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre, and um, <laughs> my auntie got tickets, and we were fairly far back. I think we might have been a hundred metres back, and I I stood there and. Uh, I know, I know, Kiss. I didn't actually grow up with them, and I looked at it. I looked around, and I was like, "Wow, I'm at a rock concert. This is cool, coming from Alice Springs." And in the back of my head, this little voice popped up and said, "What do you do at rock concerts?" And I went, "Don't people throw their undies at, at rock stars?" <laughs> and then, and then that was it. That that little thought. Um, that was it that I ran with that. So it was born. So I looked at my auntie and my cousin. And I said, um, I'm just going to take my knees off and, and throw it at Gene Simmons. And they <laughs> went, okay. Um, so I stood there and took my undies off and um, put them in, <laughs> held them out in front of me. <laughs> the trouble is if I knew that I was actually going to throw my undies at Gene Simmons, I would have worn some really, really sexy ones. The ones that I had on were terrible um, target purple old <laughs> oldy ones. So anyway, um, Karma went in front. Catherine went um, beside me, and I put my undies out in front of me and said, "Coming through, coming through, coming through, undies." And I don't know how they did it, but we managed to push right through the crowd and get right up to the very front barrier. Um, and Gene Simmons was—he uh, was undie throwing distance. So I—I um, I did a, a lasso with my undies and threw them on the stage and they landed right at his feet and he stopped singing and picked them up with his long fingernails and <laughs> sniffed them <laughs> oh. and then put them over the microphone and played the rest of the concert with my undies on his microphone. Wow. And um, I won't tell you how I got them back. That, that 
That's part two. That's part two. <laughs> wow. I was actually thinking that you threw them from 100 metres away and I thought we should no. do <laughs> No, we went right up the front. So, um, wow. And then um, I did get them back, but I'm not telling you how. And we went to the pub and... Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I still had them in my hand and I was parading around. <laughs> These the knickers that Gene Simmons sniffed. I should have kept them. I would have got a fair wad of cash yeah. on eBay. Yeah, you would have. Mm. Well, he's, had a, he's had a second coming and a third coming, I think, with uh, the, amount of, <laughs> the amount of comebacks he's made. <laughs> That's right. Even back then, twenty odd years ago, uh, he would have been he would have been at least in his fifties. I would have thought. Yeah, well, he was just a rock and roll star, and I thought that's what you did when you went to rock and roll concerts. It is true, but I think um, as you were saying that, I was thinking because I know that uh, you know people like Tom Jones and uh, and Co are synonymous with that sort of stuff, and I think uh, that a lot of the ladies back then used to actually get the exaggerated large pairs as a joke. So <laughs> you, you might have been right in tune without realizing it. <laughs> well, if I planned it better, I would have put a, a lot more sexier pair of undies on. But <laughs> there are, you, you don't know you're going to do these things until you go to a rock concert. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, on that note, uh, on that happy note, um, we thank Chloe Ehrlich from Alice Springs for her story. Um, and uh, over to you, Pete. Chloe, thank you. Um, it, it's always hard when you're talking about something that's, you know, obviously that close to your heart, but I think these sorts of stories need to get told and that's basically what the Territory Story podcast is all about. Thank you for joining us, Chloe Early. And, uh, thank we'll catch you. And we'll catch you again next time on the Territory Story podcast. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.